Well, we've sung the gospel together. We've seen a picture of it through the baptism of Wendell. And now we're going to hear the gospel preached from God's word. So I would like to read the passage that our pastor Mark will be preaching from today. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning with verse 7. If you have one of the uh, Bibles provided by the church, it's on page 559. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, uh, beginning with verse 7. I think we're maybe having one more sermon out of Ecclesiastes next week. We're going to conclude this series. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you for the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days to come. Oh, excuse me. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened. And the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinders is low and the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. May God bless the reading and preaching now of his word. the timing of today's passage is amazing. Um, In light of Wendell's baptism and in light of um, all that's taking place this morning. So we didn't pick this passage. God picked this passage. We're here now in our journey through Ecclesiastes the last several months. And so we land here on a passage that's primarily directed to young people and youth. And this was the passage that I look back to as describing what happened to me at age 15. 
growing up in a, in a, in a, not in a church environment, not in a Christian home, just a normal run-of-the-mill, lost 15-year-old kid, at 15, I began to think more and think about the fact that why I'm here and what's life all about and what, what is, why, am, why am I the way I am and is there more to this and all those sorts of questions. And I can remember thinking in those days as a 15-year-old that if there is a God and he made me, I am an absolute fool not to try to figure out who he is and live in light of his reality. And it was that truth to remember my creator in the days of my youth that God, by his grace, even though I didn't know the Bible, I didn't know the verse, nevertheless, it was that thing that was pressing in on me. And I can remember as I began to go to church and explore Christianity as a young 15-year-old kid, that the thing that drew me most to Christ in those days, besides my profound awareness of my own sin, was God has made me, that changes everything. That changes everything. The knowledge of our creator is a game changer. To know your God and to know him as the God who made you necessarily and directly impacts your life in that moment in a profound way. And by God's grace, he made me alive to that reality. And that's the reality that Solomon is ending the book of Ecclesiastes with. Bono... The lead singer of U2 has written, quote, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge, he tries wealth, he tries experience, he tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown, but then again, no, it isn't. End quote. Getting to know our creator before we grow old and die is the most important thing we can ever do. And that's Solomon's theme in this whole text from 11.7 to 12.8. Getting to know our creator before we grow old and die is the most important thing we can ever do. And he gives us five things about that reality. Now, if we understand and believe this section, we will learn... A couple of things. We're going to learn, number one, to truly enjoy life without either idolizing youth or diminishing the joys that are present in our young age. And secondly, we're going to look to old age with a sense of realism that enables us to enjoy every single day that God gives us on earth. So here are five things that I want to draw out, and these are just five observations from the text that we're going to walk through about what Solomon has to say about getting to know our creator before we grow old and die. First one, here's the first thing he says, enjoy being young, enjoy being young. Verse seven, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. In other words, what he's saying is life is good. It's really good to be alive. Life is sweet, life is bright, life is to be experienced and enjoyed, savor it. Savor it, enjoy life. And he says, especially enjoy it. Verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. That's a command. Just as much as do not steal. Rejoice in your youth is a command of God. Enjoy being young. Now, why? Phil Riken says this. 
Here's why. Young people enjoy many blessings in life. They have fewer of the cares that come with having adult responsibilities. Their bodies are strong and getting stronger. Their hearts are full of good cheer and easy laughter. The future is full of possibilities. There's freedom to take risks and time to go in a new direction. Young people still dare to dream that they can make a difference in the world. And these are all reasons for the young to rejoice. End quote. So enjoy being young. And Solomon says some pretty amazing things in verse 9. He says, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. That is, be happy as a young person. And then he says some things that make parents of teenagers really squeamish and nervous. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. How many of you like that command? Go to your teen, say, do whatever you want. But that's what Solomon's saying here. Now, obviously, he has a qualifier. He says at the end of verse 9, know that for all these things, God's going to bring you to judgment. So he's not saying, let loose and just do whatever you want to do. However, he is saying, do your want-tos. Don't miss out and end up with a bunch of, I wish I shoulda. I wish I could have. I wish I did. What he's saying is, live life to the full. Seize the day, revel in the newness of experience that come with youth. He's not giving a blank pass to sin. What he's calling us to is to take hold of youth and not postpone our enjoyment to a future time. Like when we have a car or land a job or start a family, enjoy the present moment. Enjoy being young because it's not going to last. That's his first thing he says to us. Enjoy being young. Second thing. Realize it won't last. Realize it's not going to last. Now let's go back to verse 8. So if a person lives many years, stop. You're not guaranteed to get out of youth. You are not guaranteed to get out of youth. If, 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 if a person lives many years, not so a person who lives many years. No, we're not guaranteed of that. It's one of the reasons he calls us to remember our creator. But he says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Why? Why should we rejoice in the number of days God gives us on the earth? Why should we be happy in life? Let him remember, verse 8, that the days of darkness will be many. That is, there's coming a time where you won't be able to enjoy the things you enjoy in youth. There's coming a time of darkness. It won't last. And then he begins to describe what those days of darkness are going to look at, look like in chapter 12, beginning at verse two, all the way through verse seven. And in chapter two or chapter 12, verse two through seven, he begins to talk about getting old as sort of a metaphor, or he uses a metaphor of a house that's breaking down of a decaying home. And he uses this figurative description of old age to talk about the physical limitations that are going to come as we get older. So he begins in verse 2 by saying, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. This is describing those days of darkness. Those days as we begin to approach old age. When we're old, we seem to suffer one trouble after another trouble after another trouble with little or no time to recover. And this... Figurative description in verse 2 
Solomon's just talking about the repetitive gloom that as we encounter setback after setback after setback in our old age. And then he begins to use the house metaphor and start to describe how our bodies will start breaking down. Look at chapter 12, verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Many people think that's a reference to the hands and the arms of a person beginning to break down. Now, some of these metaphors are going to be clearer than other metaphors, what he's talking about. So we want to tread lightly here. We don't want to be dogmatic and say, absolutely, this is what Solomon's talking about. He's using a poetic figure, a metaphor to describe how the house is breaking down. But this is clear. The body is going to start breaking down progressively, year after year after year. So we'll try to make some speculation here, but understand I'm not trying to be dogmatic about what everything, every, every single one of these things means. The keepers of the house tremble, reference to the arms. The strong men are bent, reference to the legs. How they start to, how they are bent. The grinders cease because they are few. Anybody want to take a guess what that might mean? Teeth, right? Teeth. Start to loosen teeth. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. What's that a reference to? What's that? Eyes. Eyes. Yeah. Need glasses. Cataracts start to set in. Verse 4. And the doors of the street are shut. Now that's that's a tough one. Some people take it as a reference to the ears. Not being able to hear as well. Some take it as a reference to the mouth. That as the teeth get lost, the lips begin to curl over the toothless gums. You've seen old people eat, right? Older people. Not an insult. The doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low. Again, possibly a reference to the teeth. Possibly a reference to um, not being able to hear well. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. Right? In older age, we tend to sleep lighter. The habit of the elderly is to wake up very early in the morning and to be stuck... to to be awakened by something very low, very quiet. And all the daughters of song are brought low. That could be a reference to the vocal cords, or it could be a reference to being barely able to hear the sounds of music. Verse 5, they're also afraid of what is high, and terrors are in the way. We know what's happened, especially when we either... We're older ourselves or we've cared for older family members or friends. We know what it's like when they're older. They're, they're afraid to fall. They're afraid of being out in public sometimes because of driving on the road or walking in the store or in crowded places where something could happen. So they're characterized by a sense of fragility and nervousness. This is also picked up in the next couple of phrases in verse 5. The almond tree blossoms. That's a reference to the white hair that comes with older age. When the almond tree blossomed, it would become white. The grasshopper drags itself along. Again, a reference to agility or feebleness or lack of mobility. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. A reference to sexual desire and how it goes down in older age. The erosion and diminishment of desire. So he talks about this slow breakdown of the body. And he begins to wrap it up in verse 6. He says, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Now rather than see these, as some do, as reference to body parts, I prefer to see them as 
two pairs of phrases which are related to the value and the function of life and how it goes down in older age. Some people take the silver cord to reference the spinal cord, the golden bowls, the skull, the pitchers, the heart. You could, I guess, I mean, that's a very liable interpretation, but the way I prefer to see it is this. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, that's one idea. And the idea of a silver cord and a golden bowl is that which is valuable. Silver and gold are valuable. And what happens is that which was valuable, our bodies, begins to break down. The value begins to diminish. And then the pitcher and the wheel at the well, or the wheel broken at the cistern, some people refer to that again as the heart or the circulation system. Some people even think of the wheel as the hips. A lot of interpretation, interpretive ideas here. Um, but the idea, I think, is functionality. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. That is, the functionality of the wheel and the pitcher is gone. If the wheel gets broken at the cistern, you can't draw any water out of the well anymore. It's broken. It's, it's not working. It's useless. The functionality of it is all gone. Same thing with the pitcher. If it's shattered at the fountain, you can't use the pitcher anymore. So it's the idea of usefulness or functionality. It's broken beyond repair. And I think that's the idea that Solomon's trying to get at with um, our bodies breaking down. So that's his picture. Realize that youth will not last. We're all headed to that description if we live long enough. We're all headed toward that description. Progressive breakdown of mental and physical and emotional and psychological faculties. Now here's an encouragement for older Christians. Some of us are closer to this day than others. But I just want to give a little encouragement out of here because this can be a very depressing section. I mean, it is. It is. But it's real. It's real. You know, like, you know why it's more depressing to us? Because we do everything we can to avoid facing old age as a culture. We are all about the youthification of America. Just stay young, and once you get older, fake it the best you can. Go for suctions, go for makeup, dye your hair, do whatever you have to do. But for heaven's sakes, don't be old, because that's terrible. We need to face the reality of old age. And that Solomon just pulls back the curtain and say, look, here's where we're going, gang. And he's not going to sugarcoat it. Because God loves us too much to do stuff like that. And fake it. And throw a makeup kit at us. And tell us to avoid going to funerals. No, because the encouragement for older Christians especially is this. Here's an encouragement. 2 Corinthians four sixteen and 17. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There's encouragement. What about 2 Corinthians 5, 1? For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. How about that encouragement? Resurrection body coming, glorified body coming for the believing Christian who is older. Psalm 92, 14. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. They still bear fruit in old age. And that's true of every older saint among us this morning. 
they still bear fruit in old age. So even though the physical limitations are present and they are a reality, the spiritual progress can be limitless. So I hope that adds a shed of encouragement on the reality that Solomon paints for us. Here's a third observation. So we've seen enjoy being young. Number two, realize it won't last. Third one, you're going to answer to God. You're going to answer to God. And he says that in at least three different places. He first says it in chapter 11, verse 9, right at the end. He says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And then he also says it in verse 5 of chapter 12. He says, because man is going to his eternal home and the, and the mourners go about the streets, so something's going to happen to us after we die. Then in verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So we're going to answer to God. Our spirit, our bodies are going to go down to the dust. They're going to get buried. Our spirit is not. It's going to return to the God who made it and gave it to us. In that moment, we are going to go to our eternal home, which will either be a glorious one or a terrible one. And then we're going to face God in judgment. That's a member. Those are three very memorable images Now, what judgment is Solomon referring to in verse 9 here? He's referring to the judgment. The judgment. The judgment, the great day of judgment. When according to Romans 2.16, God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That judgment. God is a righteous judge, and he is going to hold every one of us accountable for what we do. Therefore, Solomon reminds us that every time that we follow our hearts and do what looks good to us, that we're going to have to answer to God for what we have done. This means that everything we do in our bodies, in our youth, in our old age, matters for eternity. How we spend our money, what we do with our bodies, the way we use our time, what we decide about our future, how we handle our relationships, what we touch, taste, hear, and see, all this matters to the judge. And therefore, it ought to matter to us as well. Now, here's an interesting note, and I think this is important to point out. Solomon is not giving this word about the judgment in verse 9 just to try to stifle people or temper our desire. He's not saying like this. I don't think we should take the passage like this primarily. He's saying, okay, youth, rejoice in your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things you're going to be judged. That's not his primary disposition because he, he has a word to the morally loose who would take that command and say, yeah, well, God wants me to do whatever I want, irregardless of him. No, that's why he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. But he has a word. He's like, okay, so if you're tempted to abuse God's gift, And take it to wild excess, know this, God's going to bring you to judgment. But he also has a word for those who would be stodgy and morally strict and ignore God's gift and cave into a morose sort of stoicism. And he says, you're going to be judged for that too, because God gave you things to enjoy and you didn't enjoy it. Here's what one commentator says. Quote, human beings are supposed to enjoy life to the full because that is their divinely assigned portion. And God calls one into account for failure to enjoy. Solomon is saying that God will judge us to see whether or not we have sufficiently enjoyed his gifts. So this 
call to judgment, this reminder of judgment, is not an attempt by Solomon to try to temper our enjoyment with the fear of judgment, but rather direct our enjoyment toward responsible pleasure so that we will not squander the life that God has given us to enjoy. Very important to point out. You can be judged by God with just as much wrath and fury for being a moral stoic as for being morally loose. Because what do you, what, I mean, if God gives you, if, if, if a parent gives you a gift to enjoy, there are two responses that will displease that parent. One is profound indifference, right? And one is tearing it up and breaking it and smashing it on the ground in anger. Right? And both are wrong. What do you as a parent want to see your child do with the gift you give them? Play with it a lot and smile. And sometimes we can be so pietistic and so otherworldly that we forget that we live in a material universe. And God is a good parent. He's not always looking at you as like, well, is there 90% enjoyment of me in that gift? Don't be paralyzed by that. Enjoy food. Enjoy relationships. Enjoy partying. Enjoy times of fasting. Enjoy times of saying no to things and saying yes to things that God has permitted. Don't be paralyzed by, well, I wonder if I'm enjoying this or if I'm enjoying God in this. Enjoy it to God's glory. And quit worrying and parsing it out whether or not you enjoy it or enjoy God. Is if you're a Christian and your heart is set and you're asking that question, just, just believe that God sees that and knows that. Okay? So, he calls us to remember the judgment, so therefore rejoice. Remember my command to rejoice because you're going to be judged. Fourth observation. Deal with your junk. Deal with your junk. This is verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now, what's he saying here? Eliminate, especially in your youth, especially when you're young, eliminate the bad things in your life that trouble your body and your soul. He's honest with us about the troubles of life and offers us the following advice. We should do what we can to remove discouragement from our souls and minimize damage to our bodies. Life is too short to not deal with your junk because if you wait and the older you get, the more it's going to cost you. So deal with your anxieties, your mental health, your physical health, Get those things in order in your youth so you don't have to pay for it in your old age. Deal with your junk now. That's what he's saying. So vexation from your heart, when he says that phrase, that's, that's anything that causes worry or concern or anger that grieves or irritates. He's saying don't give way to melancholy or don't just assume that life is just a succession of duties. Get rid of anxiety that undermines joyful living. 
And then he also says, put away physical pain from your body. He says, if your suffering is physical, don't do things that bring harm to your body. Don't do things that are going to affect your physical health. When the Bible tells us to put away pain, it's not giving us license to drown our sorrows in alcohol or over-medicate. That's just going to contribute to pain, mental and physical pain. He's saying get rid of anything that you're going to regret when you're older in your youth. Get rid of that. Deal with your junk. Get it out. Handle it. And how do we do that? We do that in the church. It's what the church is for. Church is not a museum. It's a hospital. We're here to help each other deal with our junk and deal with it in our youth. It's what young life exists for, to help kids deal with their junk in their youth. So they're not paying for it when they're 25, to help them deal with their lust when they're 15 and not have to go through a failed marriage to deal with it. Deal with your junk now. Take care of it. Don't pay for it in 15 years. Hear me. Especially if you're young. I've been there. There was some junk I didn't deal with that I had to pay for in my 20s. It didn't cost me a marriage, praise God, but it cost me usefulness. And it cost me joy, more important. So don't do it. Deal with it now. Look, the consequence of you keeping your sins secret is pain down the road. Vexation down the road. So are you more scared of facing somebody and telling him it now or telling it to your spouse in 20 years after living in it for 20 years? What's more painful? Do it now. And that's what Solomon is calling us to do. That's a command. Remove, put it away. Those are strong words. He's not just saying, oh, just exercise a little, you know, have good eating habits you know, don't do things that make you worry. No, he's very, he's commanding us. He's saying, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. Why? For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. It's going to pass. It's going to go away. And we're going to pay for it later in our lives. So deal with your junk. Last one. Last thing. He calls us to, number one, enjoy being young. Number two, realize it won't last. Number three, You're going to answer to God. Number four, deal with your junk. Number five, live a God-centered life now. Live a God-centered life now. Verse one, chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So remember your creator in the days of your youth. Let's take them one at a time. Remember. What is he saying? Remember. Is he saying, just give some mental effort to try to think back about something? Remembers that? No. In calling us to remember, Solomon is calling us to live a God-centered, God-saturated life. Making the God of the universe our first and highest and chief priority. That's what it means to remember. To remember God is to live our whole lives for him. It's to be mindful of God in every circumstance, including him in all of our plans, praising him for all his blessings, praying to him through all our troubles. It's to continually drop our pretense of self-sufficiency and commit ourselves completely to him. And he says, remember your creator. 
God made you. God is your creator. According to Ecclesiastes 12, 7, he has, given you, he has given you breath. We're breathing right now on borrowed breath from our creator. God has given you the days of life, Ecclesiastes 8, 15. He's determined the time of your birth and the time of your death, Ecclesiastes 3, 2. He's given you wisdom and knowledge and joy, Ecclesiastes 2, 26. He's given you wealth and possessions and enables you to enjoy them and find enjoyment in your work, Ecclesiastes 5, 19. That's our creator. He bought us. He made us. He owns us. We have no right to do with our lives the way we want to do them. Because that's why Solomon points out, remember your creator. And the best time to do this is in the days of our youth. The best time to do this is when we're still young. I became a Christian at 15 in which I would wish I would have became a Christian at five. To forget our creator now in the days of our youth, is to invite bitter regrets in later life and an empty existence in old age. And this is why Solomon calls us to remember our creator in the days of our youth. In the days of our youth. Why is youth so important as days in which to remember our creator? He says it, verse 1, Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you'll say, I have no pleasure in them. People who say, I'm going to do it later, and not in the days of my youth, have very, very unrealistic expectations of what the condition of their heart will become over time. The condition of your heart will get worse over time, not better, apart from grace. That's what Solomon teaches. There's going to come a day where you're going to say, I have no pleasure in anything. Let me me get, all right, I'm going to step out of the pulpit here for a second. And I'm going to invite Mr. John Charles Ryle to step in and preach to you for a minute. J.C. Ryle lived in the 1800s and he wrote this in his little book called Thoughts for Young Men. And I want him, he's going to preach to you in my voice, but I'm going to let him preach to you about the importance of not putting off remembering your creator, but to do it in the days of your youth. Here's what Mr. Ryle says. Let me speak to those who have not come to Christ, but mean to someday. I marvel at your presumption. Who are you, that talk of someday? You may be dead in a week. Who are you, that talk of someday? You may never have the will or the opportunity. The longer you stay away, the less chance there is of your coming at all. And the less happiness will you have in the world. Many meant to have come in their old age, but put it off until too late. Young man, do not be deceived. Do not think you can willfully serve yourself and your pleasures in the beginning of life and then go and serve God with ease at the end. It's a mockery to deal with God and your soul in such a fashion. It's an awful mockery to suppose you can give the flower of your strength to the world and the devil and then put off the king of kings with the scraps and leftovers of your hearts, the wreck and remnant of your powers. It's an awful fact, cannot be done. It's an awful mockery that you may find, and you may find to your horror, that the thing, in fact, cannot be done. Every day you are either getting near to God or further off. Every year that you continue unrepentant and unconverted, the wall of division between you and heaven become higher and thicker, and the gulf to be crossed deeper and broader. Oh, I urge you, dread the hardening effect of constant lingering. Now is the accepted time.
That's a faithful man. It's a faithful man. And that's what he would say. The longer you wait, the less likely you'll want it. So remember God now. Let me close with this. We remember our creator best. You say, okay, maybe you're sitting here this morning or maybe you're hearing my voice and you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm not a believer right now. I'm in my youth. What do I need to do? Where do I start? Well, here's where you start. You, you remember your creator. You start by this. You start by asking Jesus to remember you. That's where you start. Luke 23. Jesus is on the cross. He's being crucified between two thieves. Two men who did not remember their creator in the days of their youth. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. So you got two very different responses from two very different, from two very similar thieves. One aware that he is going to face God's condemnation and fearful and looking to Jesus as someone who is altogether unique. And another one not fearing God's condemnation, looking Jesus, looking at Jesus as just the same as everybody else. And that if and and railing against him, because if he claims to be the Christ, why is he not saving them? Verse 42, and he said, Jesus, the man who was humbled, said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, an old writer once said that there is these two thieves and one of them is saved and one of them is not. And he says, one of them is saved so that no man may ever lose hope, but only one of them is saved so that no man would ever presume. Only one, not both, only one. And this man underwent a conversion. He remembered his creator He acknowledged that he deserved God's just condemnation for his life of sin, that he had done wrong, that he acknowledged that Jesus was utterly unique and capable of saving him, and he entrusted himself to Jesus. That's how we get reconciled to God. And that's how we remember our creator in the days of our youth, is by asking Jesus to remember us. And we say with the psalmist, Psalm 25, 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. This is what the thief was asking Jesus to do. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. 
Maybe you're here and you're an older person. You're not out of the game. Here is David quoting Psalm 25 and Psalm 25 saying, don't remember the sins of my youth. I didn't obey what my, what my son would eventually write about. And Solomon didn't either. The author of Ecclesiastes, he didn't remember. So he's calling other people to not spend his youth the way he spent his. Just read the first five chapters of Ecclesiastes and you'll see. So no one is outside of the possibility of mercy and no one is outside grace and no one has outside of God's forgiveness and love and reconciliation. Many have remembered their creator too late, but none have remembered him too soon. Let's pray. Father, we pause at this end of the service to acknowledge that your word is true. And we ask that you would take it to us and personally deal with us according to the truth that you have spoken to us this morning, wherever we are. If we need encouragement, give encouragement. If we need rebuke, give rebuke. If we need consolation, give consolation. If we need a reminder of what you've forgiven us of, overwhelm us with fresh appreciation. If we need to have dealings with you regarding the state of our own soul and where we stand with you, may we have that dealing this morning. We ask this for the glory of Jesus in his name. Amen.